Just a tip. Do they make remote control cattle prods? That's good. No. Oh. Stop it. Shut up, Mark. God, Mark. (laughs) All right. You know what they do make that's remote control? Yes, I know, but we're not going to be doing that. (laughs) Not a cattle prod. That would be very distracting, I suspect, and my girlfriend probably wouldn't like it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean. But it would get my attention. Back yourself out. Uh, All right. That's hot. (laughs) So. um, It's a menage a pod. Menage a pod. (laughs) Greetings, savory inferiors, and welcome to Vampire Insider, the unofficial podcast dedicated to recapping and reacting to AMC's immortal universe, including Interview with the Vampire and the Mayfair Witches. In each episode, hosts Joanne Palumbo, Christina LaRusso, and myself, Mark Snedeker, summarize the episodes, talk about Easter eggs, discuss standout characters and their arcs, and explore some of their predominant themes. We're now in hiatus on both Interview and Mayfair, so we're going to have some special discussions about the Immortal Universe and uh, some of the ideas that spring from that. We will also be having a special segment, Vampire Insider Asks, where we pose a question to our followers on Twitter, and we read them and try to answer some of them here. Today's discussion is morality in fiction and the immortal universe does offer us some interesting conundrums now i'd like to introduce my co-hosts hello joanne palumbo hi marcus we're going to discuss the morality Ooh. of joanne palumbo as well Ooh, marcus uh, <laughs> i don't think we have enough time for that probably not. <laughs> and hello christina larusso hello so uh, with that, Christina, how would you like to see this conversation unfold? Well, basically, it's a pretty broad discussion point. There have been some questions and debates going on online about the morality involved in the immortal universe. Right. There are definitely some interesting and possibly problematic issues in Anne Rice's writings, right? A hundred percent. I don't know if it's because it's a hiatus and everybody's yeah. got not much to talk yeah. about. <laughs> <They're itchy. laughs> so they're looking for trouble. And we saw this a little bit and we discussed it a little bit with, um, well, we discussed it in depth with Lestat where we said, you know, he's an anti-hero. Yeah. And, but we still see that there are what people call Lestat antis. I don't see this. I never see this, but I know yeah. that it exists because I see people talking about it. Right. So I must not be a part of the You're Twitter. You're not in the deep dark. Mm-mm. I'm not there. <laughs> I'm definitely not. Uh, where there are people who are put out by the fact that people seem to stand Lestat. And, and that's their thing. I'm not here to pass judgment on that. Right. But I'm also seeing things like, um, you know, I don't like Marius. Fair enough. You right. know, no one has to like Marius. But then also the implication is, well, if you don't like, what are you saying about me if I do like Marius? Right. Or Marius is so problematic, he shouldn't exist as a character, that kind of stuff. So I think what I'd like to do is just start a conversation about morality and its place in fiction. Joanne, what are your initial, I guess, give us a hot take on your thoughts about morality in fiction. So, you know what, Christina, I'm the last person the way I live my life to be lecturing anybody about morality, but <laughs> I'm going to give it a shot. Well, you've the devil uh, in you. <laughs> um, you know what? Who are we to be the morality police for authors? I think life would be pretty boring if every author or a writer or somebody, you know, kind of held the same moral code that 
you maybe you do in real life. This is fiction. It's not real. It makes for more interesting writing when they have our favorite characters be the bad guys and cross lines that we wouldn't normally cross in real life. That's why we're here. That's why we're reading this stuff. What about you? I think that people, authors write these things to confront these topics, these subjects, these darker parts, and maybe it's darker parts of themselves. Maybe it's darker parts of what they see happening in the world around them. And it's a way for us also as readers to confront those things and maybe in some cases live vicariously through the characters doing bad things. Maybe in some cases allowing us to sort of draw a line in the sand and say, you know, it's interesting to read about that, but that is terrible. There is value in people writing confronting things and in people consuming literature that includes confronting things and and literature and all kinds of media, film and all the rest. This is a part of the way that we expand our own experiences. And I am here for it. What I am curious about and I want to get to is some of the ways that people make apologies for confronting things in fiction and uh, some other stuff uh, along those lines. So that's, I think, where I want to go with my portion of it. So they have a term in literature for an author who creates monolithically good, virtuous characters and monolithically bad characters. And that term is shitty writing. (laughs) All right. So if you see shitty writing, right, where a character is just, you know, just spotless, right? They're just the Mary Sue, right? They can do everything great. They're great people. And they're fighting this, the big bad. That's not interesting. Mm -hmm. So I think literature is a great sandbox for us to kind of play in and test out ideas and work through some some thoughts you might be having. And it's okay to explore topics that would be obviously unacceptable to explore in real life. Now, of course, there are limits, mm-hmm. right? I mean, and you know, you don't want to glorify cannibalism, for example. I can't believe it. Yeah. You're you bringing that it into coming. this <laughs> podcast too. You know, you don't want to see them glorify it or you would like it to not be too gratuitous, although it often will be. I mean, well, how do you not make cannibalism gratuitous? Right. Well, I mean, you have to deal yeah. with it in a sophisticated way. Perhaps they, you know, are good with sauces or something. <laughs> um, but I remember when I was a kid. Well, what is the Soylent? Um, Soylent Green. Soylent Green. It's people. It's people. <laughs> That's right. Right. Um, so, but see, that was a very sophisticated mm-hmm. science fiction novel that happened to include some cannibalism. It allows us to work through our feelings on things like this. And it also shows that life and people are complex. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a perfectly acceptable thing to do. Now, if you're going to defend, like you said, if you're going to defend the bad behavior or look for excuses for the bad behavior of your favorite character because you think, because you like the cut of his jib. Okay, that could be that could be an issue and maybe that's something we explore. Anne Rice's Immortal Universe is a pretty rich, well-developed cast of characters, magic system, history, etc. It's largely populated by vampires. You know, you have to you're going in, you have to realize, okay, these guys are murderers, mass murderers, serial killers. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. And you know that's that's the that's the premise of the book and we're exploring the complexities of their lives 
and you can like them or not like them. Hopefully you don't like the bad acts that they do, but sometimes people do like, they're like, that was a really cool way to kill that guy. Mm -hmm. Right. Or that was funny with the train conductor and all that. And there's really nothing wrong with you if you do. In some cases, and let, uh, let's just say this right up front, we're going to blur book and TV series and probably movie, maybe, but definitely book and, and TV series. In some cases, you're set up in particular in the TV series to applaud when somebody gets killed. For instance, it was a great feeling of victory, victory when Louis killed the Dick, the attorney. councilman or attorney. That's right. Yeah. I knew you were going to say that. I knew it. And I just <laughs> kind of chuckled to myself because that was one of the best kills yeah. of this show. And, you know, if you if you try to be overly puritanical and rigid about it, you're like, look, yes, he was a bad guy, but that's not a capital offense. Right. He shouldn't get murdered horribly. But in the context of the show. This is the find out portion of the fucking around. And we accept that a kind of extravagance, if you will. Right. Or that extreme reaction, because that's the universe that you're operating in. You have a certain set of rules here and you have to understand it's not the same set of rules that exist in the real world. Right. Um, So let's talk about some of the characters that you think are most controversial in terms of their moral or immoral or amoral behavior. Okay, so I'm going to include because the books that we've discussed on this podcast so far in the we're we're going to be doing Queen of the Damned, but the ones that we've discussed so far are Interview with a Vampire and The Vampire Lestat. Are we pretending the Mayfair Witches doesn't exist right now? Oh, that's right. Mayfair Witches as well. <laughs> <laughs> the witch I mean, I know you're trying to blo- I mean, I'm just so happy out. to be back with oh, I'm yeah. happy to be with back the with the vampires everyone. So, um The Witching Hour and Lasher and The Vampire Lestat and Interview with a Vampire. All right, right. So, for me, morally challenging Lestat in the television series. Not a great boyfriend. Bit of a murderer. <laughs> well, yes. Liar. Yeah. Kind of a dick. Manipulator. Am I uh, like low key? So hot. Yes. Like, so hot, but yeah. also <laughs> low key racist. Like not racist, but well, struggling to understand. Racist ish. Yeah. Just ignorant about that. Yeah. Sort of ignorant. Which, by the way, that. if you correct for the setting, that's a fairly progressive approach. Because it was a very racist time. 100%. And I know, and we're going to get into like yeah. the time, the situation. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, morally problematic. Also, I would say, well, Armand is. The murder goblin. I would say that TV series wise, or I mean, uh, book wise, Marius is obviously very problematic. But. Isn't he more complex than that as well? He, well? He is complex, but he is fundamentally problematic because of the his attraction to young children. Yeah. So that's Ooh. a that yeah that's a problem. Well, okay, yes. <laughs> Book Louis problematic because of his attraction to Claudia. Right. There's a you know I mean there's Lestat with Gabrielle. I mean there's so many. Did I leave anyone out? For me, Louis and Lestat together as a couple, when they decide to turn Claudia is, you know, Horrific. one of the most morally bankrupt decisions I think they've made. Yeah. And I, that's when I really bringing his child into this. Yeah. I, that's when I really want to dig into. What about Claudia? Ooh. Do you think Claudia is morally TV yeah. show? Claudia is 
Claudia well, is Claudia, Claudia is, is as big a murder goblin as Armand ever was. It's not the murder though that I'm uh, that I'm thinking yeah, about. And but plus, the manipulation. But yeah, right. Okay, so TV show Claudia, I would say, is morally problematic. Less she would write down their last words. That's I mean, TV that's show. Yeah, that's serial killerish. Yep, yep. That's TV show Claudia. But I'm talking yeah. now about like book Claudia. I think is less so, and we can talk about why why I think that's a vicious killer. Though. I don't know. We'll, I mean, we'll discuss she, it. I know, again, some of you are trying to forget it, but let's talk about uh, the Mayfair oh, witches. witches, yeah. So, I mean, it's hard to argue that there are more than two characters in the Mayfair Witch books that I would consider morally praiseworthy in any way. Mm-hmm. And that's Aaron Leitner and Michael. And you think Michael's morally praiseworthy? Well, you know, up until that last part of yeah, the Yeah, you book. can't, yeah. But he was, but until then he was like Boy Scout and he was super boring. And again, I think one of the big issues you have to address in the immortal universe is underage sexuality. Yeah. You can't ignore it or you shouldn't ignore it, I don't think. Mm-hmm. And that was just a thing that Anne put in her books. And you can argue whether she put it in there because it was kind of a thing for her or if she found it a particularly powerful, you know, symbol. And especially in 2023, we don't have a hard time saying that's that's fucked up. You shouldn't be having sex with 14 year old boys in ancient Rome or uh, underage girls in New Orleans or, Mm -hmm. you know, any of that stuff. I mean, that is wrong. It's hard to argue any other way. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think in the Mayfair Witches, I mean, you can't, I don't think you can really make an argument that Rowan is particularly moral. She's, well, what about the incest in the witches, too? Yeah, well, that's exactly right. And that's another issue in the immortal universe that you have to talk about, in, especially in the Mayfair Witches, although it leaks into, pardon the phrase, uh, mm-hmm. the vampire chronicles as well mm-hmm. i mean lestat it's got some mommy issues all right well and louis and claudia and yeah yeah all so. right so essentially pretty much everybody has some kind of moral questionable which is fine which is fine which right? is which is which makes them interesting right because what you're saying actually true about michael in the book uh the, in the witching hour yeah. is he is a one trick pony he is a good 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 and until till the gets, very last minute right, and he gets lolita then he gets <laughs> <laughs> but honestly i have a problem with rice's take on that particular issue there are very few morally spotless people in the immortal universe, which is mostly because you're dealing with bloodthirsty killers. This is a very important point. Rice made vampires more human. Right. But they're still vampires. So they are, it's not as one note as uh, just a, old time Dracula story right. where he's just a bad guy. He's, he's just, just a, a monster, monster by nature. These are more naughty by nature, naughty if you will. He is naughty by nature. Hip hop hooray. Ho. <laughs> Okay, Mark. Are, are you down don't with ever OPP? Do that again. <laughs> <laughs> it's oh. awful. Uh, Lestat is down with OPP. He definitely is. <laughs> of course. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but my point here is, that she actually makes these characters more interesting by leaving them to be bad and exist in this world where they 
have to really kind of be bad. They and have I, to do I, bad things. I was going to say, I think there is a strong argument to be made as part of her exploration of the nature of what it would be like to be a vampire, mm-hmm. for example. If you are that powerful, you are that long lived, you are now separated from humanity. And in fact, humanity is your food source. These kinds of what for humans would be immoral behaviors are to be expected. All of them seem pretty terrible. But is that just kind of vampires got a vamp, right? That's just how vampires are. And yes, they're morally questionable from a human perspective. And then you can think about it. Are they morally questionable in some more objective, overarching way? They're just trying to be themselves. Take the morality out of it here, right? This is not a moral thing that I'm about to talk about. But there are a lot of people who've read this in the LGBTQIA plus community that found real resonance in the presentation of otherness. Yes. What I what I think I'm trying to say is that they they Correct. can be a, a, allegorical. Right. The figures dragon, we talked a the lot dragon about dragon doesn't have to just be a it's big not, lizard. Yeah. It can be the sum of all of our fears mm-hmm. or the uh, karmic result of plundering caves mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Yeah. Right. It doesn't always have to be just a single thing. And it and it doesn't even have to be queerness or homosexuality right. or or any of it. it can be and it and 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 it is for m- many many people. I think that it could be any kind of person who right. feels like an outsider, right? Can grasp on to, onto this and say, well, "I can certainly speak from my experience as a emo teen." Right? That's what I picked up on is yeah. the out, the otherness, the being outside. Like left-handed people are like they're speaking to me. <laughs> These fucking desks and spiral notebooks and all of these things are working against me, but I know Lestat has my back. (laughs) Right? But you can find resonance in that. And I think that that's important. Now, the moral question is obviously something different from that. I think we should look at some of these scenarios and moral conundrums a little bit deeper, though, guys. Like, Mark, where would you start in all of this? So let's talk about underage sex. I do think you can legitimately criticize Rice a little bit, not for portraying underage sex, which is fine. First of all, young people can be sexual, but obviously it becomes problematic when it crosses, you know, these canyons of of years between the two participants. And I'm not sure that she is sufficiently careful writing about those things. And I'll give you an example. So we did talk a little bit about Michael near the end of last year. No, the end of, it's actually the end of witching witching hour. hour. You know, Michael is estranged from Rowan, who has run off with her ghost boyfriend. Um, He's kind of locked up. Who's also her son. Who's also her son. (laughs) Don't get me started. But he is seduced by Mona, Mm -hmm. who was like 13 Again, you can portray that. I mean, there, you know, Nabokov certainly did. Mm-hmm. Um, many other authors, uh, Romeo and Juliet. I don't think they were both eighteen. No, but I mean, they were both the same age. That's different. That's right. Exactly. Well, I'm just to say that there, you have to deal a little bit with the complexities. First of all, she gave all the power to Mona. Michael is given no responsibility. He just couldn't help himself, right? Because she's got, you know, some kind of. Uh, mojo going there Mm -hmm. and she doesn't hold him accountable like a couple of times like the maid walks in once she's like oh my oh my stars whatever and that's as much 
that he ever, that's the most consequence he ever faced because you would like to see an author when they portray something like that, which again is perfectly fine to portray, but you'd also like to see them indicate their stance on it a little bit. And I'm afraid if Anne Rice did indicate her stance, it's probably not a stance we would be very comfortable with. I mean, she does give a lot of power to sexuality and and attraction, animal level attraction, which is, again, makes her books interesting. I would have liked to have seen less letting Michael off the hook there. And I mean, they, he grapples with it, but he doesn't. Briefly. But, right? he does it, but it's not like. Yeah, it was. It was. A lot. Yeah, it was a first round knockout yeah. in that in that fight between him and his conscience. <laughs> his conscience, yeah. Does he, something like that though, Mark, make you question Anne Rice's morals or does it make you question the viewer or the reader's morals? Yeah. So that's Michael a, is a favorite character of that. That's a good question. And first of all, anybody who th- who's has Michael as their favorite character, I'm going to judge you because up until you that point, know, somebody might. He was just vanilla mayonnaise white toast there was nothing that interesting about him in my opinion he wasn't that you know engaging of a character um he was really good at building things (laughs) and he could touch things and get sensations from them right okay but he wasn't his personality was not very complicated Mm -hmm. he was and maybe that's you know maybe that was the point right because that's what Rowan likes she likes you know straightforward you know, blue collar guys, but, um, he wasn't very, a very interesting character. So I can't imagine that many people are really big Michael stands, but, and you can, and again, you can like a character that does bad things because you don't always have to like a character because you want to be that character. You can like a character because he's interesting, mm-hmm. right. Or because he's cool. Right. Has an awesome sword, whatever it is. Right. Mm-hmm. You can you can do that. That's fine. That's what literature is for. Art is for exploring these ideas and feelings. Do you think that Rice views these creatures, which is vampires, because of their special nature? Because Mona is a witch, she is in some way different or more uh, capable of being that sexual being. Is her witchiness linked to her sexuality, which means, well, okay, she's the special creature anyway. This is just fine. Yeah, I I think she does. And I I think that it's evident with the way she's written all of these characters. She gives them a a long leash for the immoral acts that she has them do. And I I think, but I think like in society, I think we, we look at somebody and go, well, they're mature for their age because they have been through X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. So I think it's fair to say that Anne could write her characters and look at, like you said, a character like Mona and say, well, she's a witch. She's got all these powers. So, yeah, you know, we, we can extend that level of sophistication to her because of that. And so her age doesn't really factor into this. It's Maybe. more her witchy nature. It could be. I mean, if you want to kind of give Anne Rice a little bit of leeway in in some of the stuff that she wrote yeah you you can view it that way i personally don't but i feel like all of the like the incest and and the child sex it is mostly gratuitous that's my personal opinion let's bring that over into the vampires now and one of the characters that we encounter who has had this situation happen and you mentioned if it was a part of the culture well when she wrote marius marius is a Roman guy, ancient Roman. Right, of course. Okay. 
we know historically there it was a Rome, Greece, very homosocial societies. And also we know that they did not follow the same moral codes that we did. They they had a different value system so that relationships between older men and younger women, uh, older men and younger boys did occur. Those things did happen in Rome, in Greece, you know, in the, in, in the ancient times. So she writes a character, Marius, who as a vampire, he lives for, you know, for, he lives on past the time where that moral system was okay anymore. They, and the, the system changed. And then he is encountering during the Renaissance, this is when he finds Armand. And so... Right, he didn't really change with the time. He didn't change with the time. His value system did not change with the time. So that's another thing. And we've talked at length about immortality and how mm. our, how it would be hard to be, be immortal because your value system is locked into where, you know, sort of your formative years, where the time when you were in your, you, you were young you and were you were alive. being raised. Yeah. And I think that, and I think you can make an argument then that there's a legitimate literary reason for Marius to continue to behave that way. Um, for me, I get it. And yeah. I don't have, I mean, I, I, un, I understood it from the historical perspective. So I don't find him as problematic because it, it seems consistent with history. Like you said, I have a much bigger problem with Mona. I have a very big problem with the sexualization of Claudia. Of course, as well you should. Mm -hmm. Particularly, I mean, we don't see that by the by Louis or Lestat in the TV series. Show. Right. But she's a five-year-old child. And I think that, you know, you are you go along in, in the book and you read with her and she is she's she's getting smarter. She's getting more sophisticated yeah. in the way that she thinks and she speaks in the way that she's described. But she's always in that baby body. She's always in that toddler five year old right. body. But and that I mean, there is some ambiguity there, obviously, with her age mm -hmm. because she's 50 or whatever, 30. Right. In a child's but in a child's body. body and she may very well have matured sexually in her head, although it's not clear, right? Mm -hmm. But, um, well, she definitely does things to be intimate with Louis, yeah, in the in right. the book and in the um, right in the movie. I mean, I think you can argue that vampirism kind of fucks with your perspective a little bit, yeah, just a bit. But again, I think I mean, I think it's legitimate to have morally questionable things like that in a novel. Mm -hmm. In fact, it, they're kind of boring if there's no moral questions, right? I was just going to say that it's kind of boring if there's not but you have making you question. Yeah, things. you just have to ask the question, is it being gratuitous? Is it being celebrated rather mm -hmm. than being explored or examined? I think viewers can take things a little too far sometimes. And I think we see a lot of that... Um, we don't get involved in it, but we see a lot of it happening in the fandom. And I have a friend who refused to watch Fifty Shades of Grey because it was fan fiction of Twilight. And she wouldn't watch Twilight because she said it was a show about a girl who had to choose between bestiality and necrophilia. That's and a like, bit much. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, you're taking it. 
really and, too far. And honestly, you don't have to take it that far. You could just be, I don't want to watch it because it was a shitty book about a <laughs> shitty book. <laughs> you can just, you can simply say that. But I think people look for things to take the moral high ground on. Of course. And it, it sometimes it's so stupid. You're just kind of like, all right, then don't watch it. Yeah. Um, but I do see a lot of that going on. Right. And to me, it's just like, get over yourself. It's a book. It's a fictional character. And I and we see that happen in other fandoms that we're familiar mm. with where there's not much going on. And so all of a sudden someone's looking around and they go, I'm yeah. going to I'm going to gatekeep this or yeah. I'm going to I'm going to start an argument over this. Now, I am not talking. I'm not dismissing the, because there are some questions about racism and things like that to do with Lestat. Right, I'm, not, I'm not yeah. I'm not downplaying that. Those are worthwhile conversations to have. I think that also that becomes very contentious and we stay we we stay out of those those conversations for obvious reasons. I mean, we're three white people. I I, I I have I can't add to that conversation. All I can do is learn uh, from from the people who are having those conversations. But I think that you're right, Joanne. I think that there are there are certain uh, uh, number of people who in good faith are doing this just because frankly, they're bored. There's not a lot going on. We're not getting a lot of information. The AMC Twitter page continues to be strange. They're really stuck on the witches. They really, really want to promote the witches. All right. So what's about, what about another one? Joanne, you mentioned um, the, the moral question of turning Claudia. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's something that definitely should be discussed. I mean, on its face, Louis wanted a, a, a child, a plaything, a little sister, whatever you want to say. And Lestat, of course, you know, and made it happen. And that just on its face is, to me, morally wrong to bring a child into the world of vampirism. And they know it's wrong. They, their society has rules against it because it's so wrong. I think that's something that's worth exploring the, the morality of Louis and Lestat in that regard, like they're putting Louis's selfish need above what's right and what's wrong, which that's what vampires do. I agree. And I want to we're going to split this into two pieces, because in the TV series, it's Louis's selfish motivation. You know, Mm -hmm. so from his perspective, as he tells it, it's because he wanted to be able to save something from Storyville, because, of course, that's after he killed the alderman Oops. in the very extravagant way that he did. And then everything got lit up in Storyville. And he claimed, I wanted to say, you know, I wanted to save one thing. She was something I could save from Claudia's telling. She feels that they created her to give Louis his sister back. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. In the book, She's created because Lestat wants to keep Louis. Right. Yeah. She had a different, a different yeah, purpose. Lestat didn't cool. understand the rule that having a child never fixes a marriage. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, and I think. Either, either scenario, it's, it's still not. It's still not. But okay. Good. So he, he keeps, he creates her, her to keep, to keep Louis. And I think there might be some of that. I think that there's some of that in the series as well. I think that there's, I think that. That's if, why he goes and gets her back. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he knows that to keep, to keep Louie around, he's got to have Claudia there. So, all right, let's. But let's, that's an example of Anne Rice handling it correctly. Mm-hmm. And here's what I mean by that. So they turn Claudia, 
which mm-hmm. we all agree as you know in our sitting in our on our couch back home is icky, right? Mm-hmm. Bad move. Well, guess what? Vampires agree that it's a bad move as well. That's why they have a a law against it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Louis and Cl- and Claudia and Lestat all realize, okay, maybe this wasn't the greatest idea of all time. Mm-hmm. And there are consequences as a result of it. And Claudia gets incinerated. So that's how, that's a good way to deal with a morally questionable act like that. You, you have the act is done. Okay. Somebody, at least somebody in the universe has an awareness that it's wrong and there's comeuppance at the end. Mm -hmm. And, and you don't have to have it be quite that neat, but and of course, there's some complexity there because, of course, they both grow to have feelings for Claudia. We, as an audience, have feelings about Claudia, mm-hmm. often for Claudia. Um, but she dealt with it in the correct way, which is this is, you know, hey, guess what? This is why you don't do that, right? Which she did not do in a, in some other cases, right? Where she did not say, okay, they made this choice because they're vampires. Now here's the consequences of it mm-hmm. because we believe that morally wrong acts generally do have consequences mm-hmm. so she handled it correctly with claudia maybe less so with you know mona or maybe a couple other options as well or uh, a couple other characters as well yeah i was thinking about it in terms of just this really horrifying kind of karma actually because you have don't get me started i know but you have <laughs> louis who loves her and wants her around for his own selfish reasons in the TV series. He has an opportunity there. When Lestat brings her back, he has an opportunity to say, no, no, she needs to go. Yeah, let he, her go. He let her go. She needs to be gone. And Claudia in the TV series is actually more capable, potentially, of being on her own. It's still going to be dangerous for her, as we ham-handedly learned but she has a little bit more ability to be on her own. And Louis could have said, let her go. And he chose to not. So he's doing these selfish things to keep her with. Now we don't know how that's going to end up for sure. We think we know if it follows what happens with the book in the book, she's stuck in this situation. There's no way that she can be on her own. And then of course she ends up being incinerated as you mentioned. And that punishment She's gone. She's incinerated. Yeah. That then lives on that karma of, of their selfishness lives on and weighs heavily on, on them. Well, at least on Louis. And I think it does. I I think it does on Lestat as well. And what I wanted to point out here is how much you, you talk about Claudia as a catalyst and she is Mark. But if we go back to the, the great episode where Claudia was playing, chess with Lestat and ends up beating Lestat really though Claudia is a pawn and she has always been a pawn in this relationship passing back and forth between Lestat and Louis and and is is this sort of is this piece to be won by them either pawn yeah can become a queen (laughs) well I mean (laughs) but anyway so for me that's what's happening there and you saying that this is a is a place where Rice handled it well, I think that's true. Yeah, I agree with that because she gave them the moral police of the vampires, right? Mm-hmm. So the viewer didn't have to reconcile it or 
make okay with it because eventually it's self-corrected because they have their own rules of their society, which is really don't make children into vampires. But that's the, and then there's a question to ask is if just because it was okay historically, do we now go, because here's what kind of what I thought of Um, game of Thrones, a lot of hideous moral questionable no things doubt. are going on in, in Game of Thrones. Really wild stuff. Yeah. Are we more apt to accept that because it's set in a time that feels historical? So we can say to ourselves, well, we wouldn't do it, but we understand that back in time they did those things. And I've seen some kind of apologist yeah, stuff as long online as you're not, like that. I think as long as you're not saying it's okay they did that, but if you're just less shocked by it because those were the days, mm-hmm. right, when those types of things did happen. Um, but you still judge. I mean, you still judge the characters. Nobody's, you know, going to uh, stand Ramsey Bolton, right? <laughs> no, mean, but Jamie Lannister. Not. Well, and again, that's a... That's definitely an incest uh, issue there. Uh, not underage sex, but incest, certainly. And then you, you know, maybe you confront some of those feelings, like how wrong is it in my head, mm-hmm. you know, that, that they did that? Mm-hmm. And is it understandable given, you know, their shitty family, you know, that type of thing. But yeah, I mean, of course, we look, you're you're meant as a reader to be transported into the universe if they're doing their job. Right. And those universes may have different rules as a reader. I think your responsibility is to critically examine that. Like, was that gratuitous? Did it serve a purpose in the story? Not, is it okay in real life? We know it's not. Then I got, I also got to thinking that perhaps male authors get a pass writing about morally challenging things and maybe female writers we go why is she why is she writing like (laughs) that's so unladylike (laughs) i don't know it's a question i'm asking the question what do you think oh i don't think so i mean i think it's it's certainly possible because we do have preconceived notions that we treat women differently in other jobs i can't think of enough examples of it could you think well just because here's what i would think is is your point was she missed the mark with Mona. I think she so. wasn't yeah. critical enough of that happening, or there and was not a. I think a male author would get that same treatment. Uh, you you think okay? I hope so. But I think that it, it, we might even be harsher on a woman because we would say, well, why you is she? Better. You right. yeah? Why are you doing that? Just a young female character. What yeah. about the sisterhood? You know, like yeah. l- look out for women. Uh, if I'm thinking about this, I'm trying not to think about, well, is it okay because she's a woman or is it less okay because mm-hmm. she's a woman? Because I don't think that's very valid yeah. analysis. So it's, you agree with Joanne? Yes. Okay. And Joe, you're, she's all right. you're mean, in that same, fine. you're in that same frame of mind. Yeah. hundred percent. You have to talk about Lestat. Lestat does some fucked up shit, but he's also very entertaining. Mm-hmm. Right. He's so charismatic. Yeah. So I think that that is actually, and I'm going to give Anne Rice not even just a pass, but credit on that because people who do bad things often are charismatic, mm-hmm. right? And we do, you know, find them well, attractive. Look at you. Exactly. I'm <laughs> practically the devil and everybody loves me, except for those who don't. <laughs> um, first of all, it makes Lestat the most interesting character. 
In the books. In the book. Uh, in the TV show too. I'm. Who's more interesting? Well, you like Louis. Who's more. more interesting than him? I think Louis. Well, I mean, you can you can make the argument that Louis is, but I think in the she TV show. Wow! Don't give Daniel so much shade. I actually do. Say Daniel. I do find Daniel interesting. He is interesting. But no, I would say Ain't nobody Louis. putting up posters of Eric Bogosian in their bedrooms. Well, there. I don't know. I think that there are some <laughs> some people online who really like him. Yeah. Uh, I, well, I would say that Louis in the series is elevated, more charismatic, much than more he is interesting in the book. than he is in the book. Yeah, Louis but it's still, book. it's still, it's still, it's it's Lestat's universe, and we're all just guests there. You have all on multiple episodes. I could go back where you say this is, this is Louis's Louis story. story. It is, but the universe is Lestat's. Okay. I mean, the, the, well, that's true. I mean, he does end the up first book. He does end up being the prince of yeah, I mean, vampires. Exactly. So that's, <laughs> spoiler alert, that's everyone. A thing. Yeah. <laughs> I think that. So let's talk about Lestat. What are his morally questionable traits, and are they gratuitous in the book and show? Are they? Do they just add flavor? You know, how does that affect the way we think about Lestat? And, of course, it's hard because Sam Reed is so charismatic know, in the role in the TV show. But in the books, Lestat is very charismatic. The, oh, Everybody, that's why I say. The whole universe revolves around him. I will I will die on this hill that yeah. he uh, he is the karma that we are all receiving, the good karma. Yeah. The karmic salve <laughs> for what we had to put up with in 94. I'm yeah. not, I'm just going to say it. <laughs> I know that some of you like Tom Cruise. I like the movie. I know you do. Oh, you're wrong, apparently, <laughs> according to Christina. Joanne, shut up. Or Christina. <laughs> so, all right, so, like so let's talk about that. So he is a bad guy in a lot mm -hmm. of instances, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. He's selfish. Oh God, yeah possessive Can't keep it in his pants yeah uh he's a bit of a libertine all of those things i'm totally fine with you're Very fine murderous. now when you say you're fine with you don't think it makes him i don't think it's uh, less interesting i don't obviously, i don't but. think that there i don't have any moral compunctions around the fact that he fucks a lot i have yeah. no moral compunction uh around that he is capricious because it's who he is he's that's you know he was a capricious human yeah. and he is a capricious vampire right. i have that he's his character is consistent there my issue with him uh well in the book he's a he's a dick in interview with in the vampire he yeah. is just a dick and he's not a very redeeming because character. Anne Rice hadn't fallen in love with him not yet. yet then and maybe she and Stan were having a falling yeah, out at the time I don't maybe. know but at any rate Stan's like can you just slip some of my poems into your book which by the way she does <laughs> but let's talk about let's focus on TV series Lestat and I would say that like his his capriciousness it's all within character it all makes sense where I see his moral failing is number one the well this is it the the insensitivity that he shows towards louis confronting racism well, that to with, me with louis any of louis wants and needs really because he wants to bend all of he wants louis to exist there for him oh well yeah but and also the uh, biggest problematic part i guess but also his whole kind of concept and and claudia claudia takes him to task for it yeah. um but is this this sort of 
his his color blindness, yeah. which I think Lestat would say, I don't see color. Yeah. And with the challenge though is I'm, is I'm, not I'm not color. My lover is a person of color, right? right I'm right, okay. Right. Yeah. So I think that, that that to me is the most morally problematic thing that's going on with Lestat. And I think also obviously the domestic violence was outrageous and yeah. and i think that 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 though I, I put on the writers i you know that's that's not the writers chose to make that decision that's that's a that would to me it was a moral yeah, i think mark made a fair point in one of the episodes that they're vampires you, you can't expect them to you know throw a dish at each other and just walk away in a huff no i know instead of a dish i'm going to throw a six foot saw blade at you no you know? right yeah, no I'm no no, throw no. The entire house at you i get it um, but but because of his racial insensitivity that becomes doubly problematic to me so yeah. so for yeah, me i agree with that so for me the 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 racial insensitivity is the biggest moral failing of lestat in the series now, do I think that that doesn't have do do I think that makes it awful and we should just you know know he's a the terrible character and now let's right. dismiss him? No, but do you, with, do you with, think that that's on track for because obviously we didn't have that component in Lestat in the book. No, so when you, when they transferred it to the show and now he's in a biracial relationship, don't you think that that's kind of how Lestat would be? <sighs> Considering I, all his other traits, I, it could, it could, he could be. But what I am saying is, is that that's fine that they're going to put that conundrum there, that this moral conundrum exists, that Lestat is this person who's low key racist and is very, at least, at the very least, racially insensitive. Correct. Um, okay, that you put that there, but let's resolve that. Let's have a conversation around that. Let's have. Let's have that be an issue Which they that, did. that Lestat has to confront. I don't think they've had to confront it yet. He, I, I, mean, I think they, he will. They had, they had the discussion in the park. Right. But uh, there again, Lestat was dismissive of it. Well, here, so, and so here's, I think, I think, here's, I think, at least the artistic argument for why Lestat dismisses it. I think it's two things. One of which, of course, he's from an era way before even this one. And it wasn't an issue for him growing up because there was only white people there, right? He only, it was, there was no racial insensitivity in the mountains of France because they're all white, right? It was just not an experience that he would have had. Plus he's been a vampire for a while and he does not see himself as a human and subject to their rules. Now he still has, you know, some kind of soft spot for humanity and wants to be involved and honestly more, more so worshiped by worshiped them. by humans, but he doesn't, he, he's trying to say to Louis, you don't have to worry about that anymore. Right. I know. Right. And, and I know Louis doesn't agree you're, because you're he, above he everything yeah, because he doesn't man. understand that. Yes. Louis does still have to deal with it on many levels, but I think that that's logical from a, an artistic standpoint that Lestat wouldn't get that. Now, I, I agree. And I understand, and I think that what I need to see for me to resolve my feelings of discomfort over this moral conundrum is for the writers, and I have no reason to think that they won't, I hope that they will, to interrogate this issue in the way that it it deserves and to, to show, you know, when Lestat goes on the inevitable redemption arc, which he right. will, 
to be, go through into the vampire yeah. list on and forward, yeah. then I need to see him come to come to grips and terms with that, that this is actually a real thing and that he has to have a little bit more sensitivity because I don't know how Louis then otherwise would fall back in love with him. If they are end game, which, yeah. you know, canonically, yes. If that is the case, in order for Louis to forgive all of this, that has to be thing number one that Lestat really gets his head around. And look, he's not, Lestat is almost completely lacking in empathy, right? right. He, right. he so can feel kindly towards somebody, but he can only interpret them through his own lens, mm -hmm. right? How does this work for Lestat? Lestat is the measuring stick for everything. You know, like, <laughs> what are you laughing at? Because I was just remembering a meme that I saw today of Lestat and Louis, and it's it's Lestat, and he's like, you know, Louis's like, man, I just met you six days ago, and, and, it's, and it's Lestat saying something like, I must have you for my own forever. <laughs> like, that's pretty intense, bro. <laughs> and it's true. Everything is so intense for Lestat. Okay, let's move on now to our new segment, which is going to be Vampire Insider Asks. So, okay, one of the questions that we asked this week was, let's say that our favorite vampire slash supernatural universes actually exist. If you could be any character, who would you want to be and why? So we have this beautiful little specimen of a Twitter follower at... Just block me underscore one. ScarJo says. <laughs> She's all right. I love this girl. Yeah. She, it's me. It's me. I'm the drama. She's got a lot so, of, she got a lot my, of moxie. Yes. My answer was I would want to be Elena Gilbert. And do I really need to answer why? No, and I want... put up a gif of Damon and Stefan. Right. So let's go to some of the more serious answers. Um, the set Saturnian, I don't know, S-A-T-U-R-N-I-A-N. Saturnian. Saturnian. Uh, yeah. The Saturnian at Banded Aberna, B-A-N-D-I-D-A-B-U-M-A, -A -A, said, I would be Bella. Hear me out. She's the only one in any verse who wanted to be turned, was turned, and lived happily ever after. So Bella, but gay. <laughs> um <laughs> You can but change you know, them to a guest like that. Sure, why not? Yeah, but they have a fair point, though, right? Yeah. Like she really was one of the only ones that really wanted to be turned. There was a few people that said, you know, like Claudia at Claude Dreamer 89. Lestat, obviously, he is an actual whore, and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> See, these are people that have no, that's like me. I have no problem with Lestat being slutty. Yeah. I. And, I mean, that's because we're so sex positive. I uh, think, yeah. Ish. Yeah. Get it, Lestat. Well, he does. Yeah. So we get a few people for that very He's reason. not missing out uh, on much. Yeah. We have Jane Andrew, who is at Jane Andrew 60. She wants to be Dr. Diana Bishop of A Discovery of Witches, of course. And she put a gif in of Matthew and Diana. Melisine at Melisine D. Rose picked Merrick. So many times while reading about her family, her sense of self, her complex relationship to esoteric topics, religion, magic, especially her love and respect for her grandmother. There were so many times it felt like looking at a reflection of myself and I loved her so much. 
And then all my life, I've been afraid of things as a child and a woman must be. I lied about it naturally. I fancied myself a witch and walked in dark streets to punish myself for any doubts. But I knew what it meant to be afraid and what she says after hits me every time. So that's a big Merrick. There we go. Fan. That's somebody uh, who actually nice. gave it some thought. I really like Merrick. I, I yeah. like Merrick as a character. Merrick's yeah. an interesting character. We'll, we'll get there. We'll yeah. read it. But there's a lot of loners out there that want to be Gabrielle. Well, yeah. I mean, she has living uh, in the dirt. She has more freedom, I think, than any other character, right? Yeah. Until she gets wrapped up in, you know, in the later. Uh, parts of queen of the damned in in the intrigue but really she just does whatever the fuck she wants whenever she wants yeah little weird relationship well, that's with her son chose her. yeah no i get it yeah i mean you you are just she is unfettered yeah yes adrian at adrian mattis says probably gabrielle i always loved her independence and desire to explore the world though i think i wouldn't shun humanity quite as much as she did but also because there is so little written about her life as a vampire, I can imagine it however I want. thought that was a really good answer. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I don't think you can write that much about her. I mean, there's only so much you can write. Today, spent 13 hours looking at a flower. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Slept under the dirt. Dug myself into yeah. the leaves and the dirt. Went to the beach. Slept in the sand. <laughs> <laughs> Counted the grains of sand on the beach. It's 47 trillion. <laughs> And six. <laughs> and six. <laughs> uh, all right. Yeah, so it, was, it, was, it was some good answers. A lot of yeah. lot of Lestat. So that they, you know, and I'm like, oh, is that so you can get it on with Lestat? Yeah, it's exactly why Louis they did it. So they can get it on with Lestat. Listen, I can't fault them. No, I mean, Elena, that's a legit so reason, right? Women and stuff. And yeah. Yeah. All right. So you, you chose Elena. Mark, who would you choose? Well, see, I went outside of the vampire supernatural mm. uh, mm-hmm. universe and picked Aragorn. Oh, because he's so great (laughs) on every level. Vampire Insider swiftly reminded Mark that he's not does not have the swagger to pull that character off. Oh, please. I have stick with so much of the swag. Please. Mm, No. All right. Well, um, answer Diana Bishop. Yeah. Oh, a shocker. Uh, yeah, I would. I would be Diana Bishop. I really, I just did a rewatch. I'm, I've got, I've got a couple more episodes to go in the third season. Where do you guys have all this Good. time Can to rewatch these? Do a show about it. I know. I want to do a show about. Um. Yes, we we will. We'll do a whole series at some point here, probably in the summer, about the discovery of witches, but. Diana Bishop, I love the fact that she has these powers. I love the relationship that she has with Matthew. I love that she was open-minded and, uh, you know, I mean, she was nervous and afraid, but I think she also wouldn't be right. But she was also very, and you know what I love about discovery of witches is that Diana is in some ways in a very similar situation to Rowan. And the way, you know, not knowing about or not really. How dare you? Not having the magic, not having, not, not being, not using the magic. It's a, it's a different situation, but it's kind of similar. And all of a sudden she has to come to terms very quickly with the fact that she is a super powerful witch. Yeah. And, and I just. I think, I think our viewers and our listeners are going to come for you for that. I think you might want to not. No, 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 no. I th- her to Rowan. No, I'm not saying that she's like Alexandra Dario. I am saying I know, like I the know. Rowan character is you know and but diana is very strong-willed and she's smart and she does what she needs to do and she can travel through time so for me that's a pretty handy that would be the character for me and plus i get to hang out with matthew good so it's a win-win 
That's a win-win. Is it though? Yes, yes. All right. So, Joe, do you want to take us out? Thank you guys for taking the time to listen to us today. I hope you enjoyed it. Please share our show with your friends. You are also welcome to follow us on our Twitter account. It is at vampire underscore insider. We will try to have questions every week. So please always go and take a look and, and join in on the fun. You can also follow us on our personal accounts. Mark is at Mark Eats Peach. Christina is at Christina Gen X. And I am at just block me underscore one. Thank you guys and have a good night. Good night, Christina. Good night, Mark. Bye. Peace out, Cub Scouts.